you know, whenever you saw, when you were in school, you ever saw a, a substitute teacher come in, you kind of always thought, probably going to get away some, with some things that you don't normally get away with, with a substitute. You know, there, you can kind of manipulate, you can kind of say, hey, we normally do things this way, or, or she normally lets us, you know, eat and hop from desk to desk, and those kinds of things, and, and uh, you know, you know it's just an opportunity to, to manipulate, and, and, you know, people in general can be manipulated, everybody... Everybody kind of has their buttons that you can push and their, their, the things that they are, desire, the things that they fear. There are probably about at least 10 people in this room right now who know how to get things out of me. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's, uh, the way it is. So, you know, people can be manipulated and, and, uh, even whole ideologies about the spiritual realm and about the, the, uh, spirituality believe that there's, there are ways that you can manipulate things that, to get what you want, to fulfill your desires. Here's what you need to know. God cannot be manipulated. That's what you need to know today. God cannot be manipulated. God cannot be overcome. You cannot use God. You cannot, you cannot appeal to, to God in such a way as to, to get what you want to get your, to fulfill your simple desires. You cannot manipulate Him. You cannot overcome Him. He is, He is independent of all creation, of every human being. He does what He pleases. He sits in the heavens. He does whatever He wants. He cannot be manipulated. He can only be trusted. Can only submit to him and make requests of him, but you cannot manipulate him and you cannot overcome him. Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 4. 1 Samuel 4. 1 Samuel 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. I'll read the entire chapter. What I want you to see first is the conquest of the blasphemers. Conquest of blasphemers. 1 Samuel 4. The very first line there, is, it says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. One of the things I want you to notice over the next three chapters that we're not going to look at all today, but we're going to look at over the next couple weeks, Samuel's not there. Samuel's not mentioned. Uh, this, is, this is mainly dealing with uh, the conquest of, of another house. So listen to 1 listen to Samuel 4. Starting in the middle of verse 1, this is what it says. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. The Philistines drew up in, the, in, the, in line against Israel, and when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And the people came to the camp. The elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may be among us, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? 
These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas died. A man of Benjamin ran from Babylon and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and his dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. When the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the cry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel four years. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant, about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured, and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she vowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention, and she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. You look there, you introduce the Philistines. The Philistines are, are people who live by the coast, and they are some of the major antagonists of the people of Israel. So if you think of it like this, that the, the Philistines basically lived in these five cities by the coast, and what they would do is they would wait until Israel would go into harvest time, they would harvest things, and then you could kind of think of them as kind of like mob bosses. They would go in, Israel could either pay them a cut of their profit for the year, a cut of their produce, uh, or they could be raided by the Philistines, or they could try to stand up to them the way that they're doing right here. But this was what it means when it thinks when you think about the Philistines enslaving the Israelites. Now they were they were uh, in some way that the Israelites sort of acted as serfs for the Philistines. So that so here they are though Israel is resisting. Israel is lined up against the Philistines. They're about to go into battle. And when they go into battle, four thousand Israelites die. 4,000 Israelites are killed. Now then, the elders of Israel ask a really good question. Look at what they say. This is in, in verse 3. Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? It's a good question. And it's not, it's not a hard question to answer. If you are an Israelite who knows the Bible, who knows the law, you should be able to know that answer. Deuteronomy 28 is a part of the, the covenant, the restatement of the covenant that God made with Israel. It says, if you obey, then your, your enemies will run from you in every direction. Ten of you will, will rout a thousand of them. 
But if you disobey, then I will send your enemies to defeat you. And notice that the, the elders actually recognized something very important. It was the Lord who defeated them. If the Lord had been on their side, they would have won. But the Lord was not with them. The Lord was against them. And if they had known the Bible, if they had known the law, they would have known the answer for why they were defeated, why the Lord was against them. It was because they had disobeyed. It was because they had sinned. This is the cycle that goes on all through the period of what's called the judges. Samuel, Eli is, is a judge. Samuel is a judge. You think of, you know, the name Samson. Samson was a judge. Well, all through this time, the people of Israel disobeyed God. God sent their enemies in to, to harm them, to harass them, to, to antagonize them. They cried out to God, and then God raised up a savior, a, a, a judge to save them from their enemies. That's the reason. And, you know, that's the reason why we stand condemned. It is the reason why any one of us should know that if we receive the wages for our sins, it would be death. We know that the wages of sin is death. Now then, look at what the, look at what the elders of Israel do. They come up with a different answer. Same way we try to come up with a different answer. We don't want to hear that the reason for our problems is sin. We do not want to hear that our biggest problem is our sins or our sins. We don't want to hear that answer. We want another answer. But that's the answer. The answer, the answer for why is the Lord against us? The answer is our sin. Look at what they try to come up with says, what we really need is the ark of God. We need the ark of the Lord, ark of the covenant of the Lord. The ark is a, a box that is covered with gold. And it is kept in a very special place in Israel. It is kept in the innermost room in the tabernacle, like a mobile tent, sanctuary, temple kind of thing. It's kept in that very most innermost room. It is a pictorial representation of the throne of God. Only one man goes in there only one time per year. It's the high priest of Israel. It's a, it's a very holy place. That's where the ark is. It's this box. Inside the box are some idols. The most important is the tablets of the covenant. The Ten Words, or what we call the Ten Commandments, contained in the Ark of the Covenant are the terms of the covenant. If you obey these commands, you'll live. If you disobey these commands, you'll face the, the consequences, the cursed consequences. You'll receive death. They say what we really need is this box. See how they're using the ark of the Lord, though. They're using it like a rabbit's foot. They're using it like like a like a the Red Sox pitcher who had the bloody sock. You know, it's this, it's their lucky charm. It's their thing that's gonna that's, that's gonna get them through. They're gonna bring the ark of God over into their into their battle formation. And now God now God has to help them because if God doesn't help them, well, that's gonna God's gonna bring dishonor on Himself. At least that's what they think. 
So they say, let's bring the ark of God in here. And not only do they bring the ark of God uh, to themselves, uh, but they also bring Hophni and Phineas to carry it. Now, if you don't know who Hophni and Phineas are, Hophni and Phineas are the priests. Sounds like a good idea. Bring the priests with the ark. But these are not good priests. These priests are the most rotten, blasphemous, uh, profane, sacrilegious priests that you could possibly think of. They have they have turned the tabernacle of God, the sanctuary of God, into a place for fornication and pagan worship. They have been gluttons, where they have been taking from the sacrifices that were supposed to be given to God and supposed to atone for people's sins. They've been taking extra portions for themselves. But they bring the they bring the ark in. And, and what does everybody do? Everybody shouts. Everybody's excited. They got their they got their they, they've got their mascot, their magic talisman in. They're gonna manipulate God, they're gonna use God to win the battle. That is the conception that so many people have of God. That God is one to be used. To fill our own simple desires. He is to be used to make us wealthy or healthy or happy. He is to be twisted. Get his arm turned to do what we want. Now, when you think this way, I think it's terrible that there is a health, wealth, and happiness kind of preaching that this is what Christianity is. It is a it is a pseudo, pseudo Christianity. It is a false ideology. I hate that that's in in come into and become so prominent in in our age and in our where we live. But don't just think of people out there. Which one of us has not tried to manipulate God? Which one of us has not tried to twist God's arm to get what we want? Manipulation is not just something that the uh, that false teachers have done. It is something that that all of us have have tried to do, have hoped for that we might find some secret to getting what we want, rather than submitting to God. You know, the answer was not to try and manipulate God. The answer was actually very simple: repent. It, it was. It was. God, God had had said in the very in the very same context in which He had talked about how how the people would disobey and how they would be punished and how they would be given over to their enemies. In that very same section in both both Leviticus and Deuteronomy, He just simply said, "But if you turn, if you turn, I will renew my pledge with you." They should, have, they should have done something very simple. Something that all of us need to do. At the turn of the year, all of us need to do the same way that we should be doing it every day. We should be, we should be ever in an attitude and a, a position and a posture of repentance for our sins before God. That's the answer. The question is, why, why would the Lord be against us? The answer is because of our sin. What what is our response? It is to repent and believe the good news. Yeah. Repent and believe the good news. Yeah. Well, they all shouted when they came in, and the Philistines uh, they shouted, uh, or they they heard the shouting, and they start to get afraid. They're, they they say these 
these these are the mighty gods who 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 battled the Egyptians. These are the these are this is these are the mighty gods who made plagues come against the Egyptians. Now their theology is erroneous. Uh, it is in, it is it is false. It's 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 an error. But they understand something that the Exodus was actually intended to do. It was to make God's glory known among the nations, and it had. The Philistines knew the, 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 the stated purpose of the plague was to make God's name known. And the Philistines know it. And so they hear about the ark being there. They say, these mighty, this never happened before. They never brought the ark out before. So, so we better, we better man up. We better, we better, better, uh, gear up. We better get ready. We're going to go in and fight. And so they do. They go in and they, they fight. Israel versus the Philistines. And you remember, 4,000 men being lost is a very great loss. Huge. But when they bring the Ark of the Covenant in, when they try to manipulate God, when they try to when they try to twist God's arm, when they test God, thirty. There is a did did you catch that when we were reading it? A very great slaughter. Thirty thousand people die. Thirty thousand men die. Not only that, but Hophni and Phineas die in the battle. God had spoken twice through the prophets and said that judgment would come on Hophni and Phinehas because of their blasphemy. All Israel was doing what was right in their own eyes and Hophni and Phinehas were at the head of it. And God had spoken twice saying that he would judge Hophni and Phinehas. He would judge the, the nation of Israel. He would judge the house of Eli, their father. What God says he will do, he does. When we hear the warnings in scripture, when we hear the warnings of, of judgment that's to come, people ignore those. People think, well, God won't really do that, or that's not what God is like anymore. God has handed over judgment to his son, Jesus Christ, the righteous one who was raised from the dead, to rule over all things. And at his return, he will judge between the wicked and the righteous. He will judge the living and the dead. What God has said he will do, he will do. When God announces judgment, everybody goes along their very way, the way that Jesus describes it. He says that the people will go on eating and drinking the same way that they did in the days of Noah before the flood came. They'll go on marrying and giving in marriage. And then just like that, judgment will come. Just like that, like a thief in the night, Jesus Christ will return. Don't, don't ignore that. Don't think that uh, Peter Peter won. Don't think that because it's been a long time and it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. Who knows how long it was between God speaking through the prophets and the judgment of Hophni and, and Phinehas. Who knows how long it was that Noah was, was preaching and building the ark before the flood came. Who knows how much longer it will be, but it will come. We should be prepared. We should be repent and believe the good news because the kingdom of God is at hand. The king has come and he is coming again, Jesus Christ. Well, then there is the 
the, the ark has been captured, the, the announcement, you look at verse 12, verses 12 through 18, that's the, the report made to Eli. So Eli is sitting there by the road. Eli is, is old, he can't see very well. Uh, now, we've already seen, we've already talked about Eli's eyesight. This is this kind of a, a literary technique that we could probably pick up on, that, that the writer of 1 Samuel, inspired by God, is, is using the physical characteristics of Eli to say something about his spiritual insight. He's sitting there watching, but he can't really see. Same way he hasn't been able to see things the way that he ought to for a very long time. And he hears the, the outcry. And uh, the man comes to him, that this reporter, uh, this, this uh, messenger from the tribe of Benjamin comes to him and says, tells him, about his sons. Now he's not he's not mainly anxious about his sons. Maybe maybe he had heard what the prophets had said about Hophni and Phineas and had given them up already. But he heard about the ark. Eli is a priest. The ark was his responsibility. Now now that the ark was this this pictorial representation of God dwelling with his people, of God sitting on his throne among the people to bless them. And now it's gone. And he falls over backwards and breaks his neck. Literally and figuratively. The head of the house of Eli is broken. God said to Eli, your house will no longer serve as priests in Israel. Your house will come to an end because you saw the blasphemy, the sacrilege, the uh, the the profanity that your sons were doing and you did not restrain them. You did not hold them back. Not only as sons, but as priests. You sat there and you did nothing. And now his head is broken. His neck is broken. And you even see there it says that he was he was old. It says that he was heavy. And I'm not trying to not trying to preach on gluttony exactly, but you recognize that his sons were committing gluttony. They 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 were they were taking portions for themselves from the sacrifices of God that did not belong to them. They they were unrighteously unrighteous game, dishonest, even violently taking what did not belong to them and eating. Did Eli take in that? Maybe he was a little bit more passive. Maybe he wasn't out there threatening uh, sacrificers and saying, hey, you, you better give that to me. You better give me an extra portion. But he knew about it. And now his neck is broken. His head, the head of the house of Eli is broken. You know, many of those who fatten themselves now on unrighteous gain are only fattening themselves for the slaughter. That's what happened to Eli. And to think about, you, know, you remember the, 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 the story that Jesus tells about the man who gained a whole lot. He had a, he had a bumper crop. And he said to himself, I'll, I'll tear down my old barns and I'll build bigger barns. Because where else am I going to store all that I've been given? And think about maybe giving it to other people. And God's, God said to him, you fool. Tonight, what will you give in exchange for your soul? 
died, he died blind and heavy. Hopefully we will we will die with clear spiritual sight. Uh, whatever may happen to our bodies, we'll die knowing the Lord. We'll, we'll die seeing the true worth of things. We'll, we'll die knowing that, that knowing that we ought to we ought to be sharing with those who are in need. Sharing with the, with, with the body of Christ, sharing with those who are poor, sharing with our neighbor. We, we, as often as we have opportunity, not living in, in luxury and self-indulgence like the, like the man who, who stood in hell did, but instead recognizing that Lazarus sits right outside our gates. And I'm talking about all the people around the world. We're talking about people right next to us that we pass on the road. People that we see every day. Stop passed by our neighbor. So he died. He died taking things that weren't his. Not only that, but you see what happens to his wife. Not his wife, not Eli's wife, but Phineas's wife. She's pregnant. When the anxiety of what she hears comes on her, she begins to give birth. She goes into labor. And she gives birth to a son. That's the height of what a, a woman could accomplish in the nation of Israel. That's a big, it was a big deal. It ought to be a be a, a time of joy. She has a son. She can't even she can't even look. She can't even think about it. She's she's in the process of dying, and in the process of dying, she said she named him Ichabod. Some of you will know that the the word in Hebrew for glory is kabod. I want to remember that. We'll, we'll talk about that again in a second. Kabod. She she named him Ichabod. Where has the glory of God gone? Where is the glory of God? She said this because the glory of God departed or or the glory of God has been taken, has been captured, has gone into exile. Where is the glory of God? The priests are gone. The ark is gone. 30,000 soldiers of Israel are gone. Where is the glory of God? You know, that's what they see in front of them. You know, the thing that we ought to be reminded of, first, is a very simple, simple idea. That when we see this, we should, we should recognize. We need to repent. Not a, a whole lifetime of turning away from sin, turning to the Lord. We need to repent. When the elder said, why has the Lord been against us? Why has the Lord defeated us? It is because of our sin. And the only answer is repentance. Also want to try to make sure that you don't misunderstand. What if you've had some problems recently? What if, you, what if you've had difficulties in your life? Is that uh, What are you supposed to say because of that? Are you supposed to say because of that, well, I, I, must, I must be sinning, so God is against me. I think one of the things you should recognize, and I think this is important, because we're going to get to the gospel through this, Israel lived under different covenantal terms than we do. A covenant is a solemn agreement. And they lived under agreement where when they did right, they would prosper in the land. And when they did wrong, they would suffer in the land. That covenant, if we still lived underneath those same covenantal terms, all we would face is death. 
In fact, some people try. Some people try. They think that they can live by what's called the law, by works of the law, by works works uh, done in, in human righteousness. But the way to earn our way back to God, the way to get back to God, is not to earn our way. It is not, it is not by turning back to God and, and being obedient at this point. We, there is no way that we could be obedient enough toward God to be in his graces, to receive his faith. Instead, God said that he made a new covenant. A covenant that was not like the old covenant. In this new covenant, there is forgiveness of sins. In this new covenant, there is the giving of the Spirit and the, the making of God. God gives us new hearts so that we are ready to obey him. He deals with our disobedience, but he deals with our disobedience through forgiveness and through a change of heart. Can't earn our way back to God. Instead, God, in his grace, gives us salvation. He gives us a new standing with himself through forgiveness. And he gives us a new heart, a new nature, so that we are ready to obey his commandments. The way that we, re we enter into this new covenant is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came and lived under the terms of the old covenant. He came and lived under the uh, under under these kinds of terms, where if you disobey, you die. If you obey, you live. He lived under those terms. And what Jesus did was he obeyed. He obeyed in every way. But then he suffered the penalty. The kind of judgment that we see pictured, portrayed in chapter 4, that's the kind of judgment that we deserve. Magnify. And yet Jesus Christ took that penalty for us. He was born in the fullness of time, born under the law, born under these terms. And then he satisfied every requirement and then he suffered the penalty of death for us in our place. So the response is repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ has died in your place so that you might have eternal life, so that you might live in his kingdom under his blessing forever and ever. All these people were doing what was right in their own eyes. They were, they were living without a king. We live under the reign, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The righteous king who has brought us blessing. That's the way for us to know God. Now then we see the conquest of blasphemers. Next I want you to see the conquest of God. Read chapter 5 with me. This is what it says. When the Philistines captured the ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it beside Dagon. When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. And when they rose early on the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left again. This is why the priest of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. 
For the men of Ashdod saw how things were. They said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They have brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. I want you to try and, uh, we're reading these stories, I want you to try and get into the minds of the people who are experiencing this. The ark of God has been captured. The response of Israel is the glory of God is gone. God, God has been conquered. The glory of God is gone. And you know, that's the same thing that was on the Philistines' mind. They thought, we have conquered the God of Israel. Now we'll, we'll take him. They, they don't think of, they don't think of God as represented in the ark. They think of God as being the ark. But we'll take him and we'll put him in the house of Dagon. And so the same way that the Philistines had enslaved the Israelites, now the God of Israel will serve in the house of Dagon as his slave. Here's what happens. They put him in there, they put the ark in there, and they go to sleep. And the next day, it's not God kneeling down at the feet of Dagon. It is, is, is instead Dagon falling down face first in front of the ark of God. God was a conqueror. You realize that the, 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 the people, the nation, were supposed to see what God did in the Exodus. And they were supposed to see the glory of God. They were supposed to know the name of God. And the Philistines did. And then the, then the Israelites, they, they disobeyed God. And they brought God's glory down in a way. And they dishonored God. But nobody can conquer God. God's honor is not based on what the Israelites do. It is not, it is not dampened. It is not, it is not brought down. God's glory cannot be shaken. It cannot be brought down. It cannot be destroyed. God will be glorified. He cannot be conquered. And then, this is, this is, this is funny, okay? I want you to listen carefully, okay? Do you see verse 3, the end? When the people of Ashdod rose early the next day, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon, Dagon, and put him back in his place. That's what you have to do with false gods. False gods have to be picked up and put back in their place. The false gods that that people worship, they don't, they don't want to hear that the answer is, that, that the problem is sin. They don't want to hear that God is the one true God who cannot be manipulated and cannot be conquered. He can only be submitted to and worshipped and obeyed and adored. Instead, they turn to false gods. 
gods that they have to protect, the gods that they have to pick back up and put back in place. You cannot worship God and money. Money is the God of our world. Jesus recognized that. He recognized that people were, were worshiping money. They, they believe in money for their comfort and their security. But the things that you have to protect can't protect you. The things that you have to hold on to, the things you have to lock up, the things that you have to protect from moth and rust and thieves, those things can't protect you. They can't keep you safe. They can't give you life. Money and possessions cannot save you. Hoard them all you want. Work more than you ought to to acquire more than you need. It cannot save you. Do you have to lock it up in a bank? Do you have to protect it with a gun? It's not going to save you. Now we all ought to be wise with money. But let's recognize what it is. It's something for us to stoop. For the honor of God. It's not a God. It can't protect you. It can't keep you safe. It can't take care of you. Only God can. So he says there, so they put him back in place. And evidently they didn't know that you were supposed to hire a night watchman to watch after the God overnight. Uh, and, and, you know, didn't, didn't take care of everything. I'm sure they locked the door and, and did everything they could. But the next day, Dagon is, is falling down on his face. And this time, his head, okay, notice, notice the, 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 the translation is really accurate there. His head is not broken off. His hands are not broken off. They are cut off. Oftentimes in, in battle, the, in the ancient Near East, the, the pattern was is that you, you cut off the heads of your enemies and you cut off their hands. That was to, uh, that was to serve as a, as a trophy to say, this is a, to, to give a head count. Head count, okay? For how many people have been defeated. The, the Philistines had brought in the Ark of God as their, as their trophy. And now God has cut off the head and the hands of Dagon because it is God who conquers. The same way that God broke the neck of the house of Eli, now he has broken the neck of Dagon. In the end, all of the false gods that people worship, they're all going to have their heads cut off. Don't fall for that. Don't be gullible. As so many people are gullible and trusting in, in their gods, trusting in their riches or, or something, some, in some way, trusting in anything rather than God Almighty. Don't believe it. Now then, at the same time, after this has happened, now there is a, a very great plague that breaks out in Ashdod. That's the city of the, the Philistines. They're getting, they're getting tumors and they're dying. A lot of, a lot of uh, scholars look back at this and think that this might be some kind of uh, form of bubonic plague, which is, is uh, 
is, is characteristic, characteristically spread by rats and has tumors and those kinds of things. Whatever it is, the people of the Philistines, the Philistines recognize, they know that whatever it is, God's causing it. Because they move it to another place. They say, hey, what are we going to do? Well, let's move it over to Gath. It's another city in, in Philistia. Well, then, then tumors break out on the people there. And do you, do you notice what it says? It says the hand of the Lord was heavy. Do you remember, you remember that, that word, kabod, the word for glory? It, it has the connotation of the idea of heaviness. So, so the, the, the heaviness of God had left Israel. But the heaviness of God was not taken away. The head, hand of God was still was still heavy against the Philistines. Still heavy against Ashdod, heavy against Gath. So they finally, the people of Gath are like, well, it's going to kill us all. So get it out of here. And they try and carry it to Ekron. Now, now they are walking with it or carrying it in some way into Ekron. And the leaders of Ekron, the people of Ekron, Say, please don't bring that here. They, they probably didn't say it that politely. There was a deathly panic. Get that out of here. Dude, we have to come up with an idea that does not include keeping the ark of God with us. We got to find something to do with it. And so, you see there at the end, the men who did not die were stuck with tumors. The hand of God was very heavy there. Every place it goes, God is conquered. Every place that the ark of God goes, uh, God, God himself cannot be conquered. He does not serve other gods. He cannot be manipulated or conquered by man. He himself is the one who conquers. So what do you take away from all of this? It's the first day of a new year. And of the many things that you need to know to live life, you need to know who God is. God is independent. He cannot, he, he does not need us. He did not create us because he needed us. He cannot be manipulated by, by us. He does not eat, need anything that we have. We cannot give to him anything. Who, who, can, who can give a gift to God that he needs to be repaid? None, the answer is none of us. None of us, no, none of us can give anything to God that requires Him to respond to us. God is mighty. No human being can overcome Him. Nothing in creation can overcome God. Nothing in creation, not even Satan, can overcome God. God is above all. And you can't hide from God. You can't escape God. Hophni and Phineas, they don't escape. They can't hide. Eli can't run away. The Philistines, they can't figure out anything to do. The Lord is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Where can you go from his spirit? You can, you can go as high as you want. You can go as low as you want. You, you cannot escape God. God is, God is everywhere. God knows all things. He knows your outsides. He knows your insides. 
Where are you going to go to get away from God? What can you do to a God like this? You cannot manipulate God. You cannot conquer God. What you can do is you can trust God. You can submit yourself to God. You can submit yourself to God's judge, Jesus Christ. You can trust in God's king and God's sacrifice, Jesus Christ. You can turn from your sin. You can trust in him. You can find security and life in him. That's the only way. It's your only hope. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, uh, we praise you for your word. That as you spoke in the prophets, so everything that you have spoken has come to pass. As you spoke in the law, all that you threatened as a consequence for sin, you you bring it to pass. We understand. Please grant that we would understand the wages of sin is death. Help us all also know that the reward of the righteous life of Jesus Christ is life. That because he lived obediently, because he lived righteously, that we have life in him. We come to you in his name. We come to you in his name, not, not hoping to manipulate you, not hoping to get anything to serve our own simple desires, but we ask that you would straighten us out, straighten our hearts out, straighten out our desires, make our requests righteous requests, grant that everything that we ask will be in accordance with your will, even your will as you have revealed it in your commands and in your statutes and in your instructions and in your commands. We come to you in the name of Jesus Christ and with the help of the Holy Spirit and ask that you would strengthen us to turn from our sin, turn from our sins daily, repeatedly, continually. Please grant that for all those looking to other gods, looking for other ways, looking looking to be made right by works, that all of them would turn, all of us would turn from those false alternatives and false gods and false righteousness to the one true righteous one, Jesus Christ. We would trust in his death in our place. We would find forgiveness. Please give new hearts. Please grant that your word would have its full effect, changing hearts, transforming lives. That you would make us to know and know you and to walk in your ways. Our boast is in you. The one who forgives. The one who always does justice and righteousness. Please grant that we would know and understand you. As you say we pray. When Israel received the Old Covenant, they sent, they sent 70 of their elders up on top of the mountain to eat. At the end of the covenant, they said, they said, all these things we will do. The covenant represented here in this meal is not that covenant. What's represented here in the bread and the cup is, is a symbol of the death of Jesus Christ. And what it says to us is not do this and live. Instead, it says, 
Jesus Christ has done all these things. He has died in our place to make a new covenant. He said to his disciples on the night of his betrayal, this is the blood of the new covenant which I make with you. And all of us, all of us who are about to partake, I invite all of you who are, who are baptized into Jesus Christ, all of you who are following Jesus Christ inside the body of Christ, all of you who are, who are walking with him, invite all of you to come and take bread, come and take cup. And what we do when we, when we do that is we, we express our participation in his death, our participation in the new covenant. If we tried to do this and live, we would not do it and we would die. Instead, we trust in the one who has accomplished all, Jesus Christ. So come forward. Remember his death in our place. Remember that he is the one who rules and reigns. He is the king whose word we need to obey. Let us hear his word to us and know that he has died for our sins. Thank you. 
I received from the Lord, what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the whole church said, Come, Lord Jesus. Praise God for the preaching of his word. Amen? Amen. Good to hear God's word with you this morning. I'm going to share with you a couple quick announcements and then uh, we'll depart. Uh, this week, men's group will meet on Wednesday night at 6.15 in the Green Room, in the North Hall, rather. I want to invite you to come. It's our last uh, chapter of the book, Resisting Gossip. And uh, then we'll be announcing what's coming next. So I want you to be a part of that. Also, on the end of the month, there's five Sundays in this month. Not that we're picking the fifth Sunday to do something special, but it just so happens the fifth Sunday on the 29th, we'll do a uh, a prayer time together. We're going to start those back where we come together and just spend a significant amount of time praying, focused on prayer uh, for our church, for our community, for each other. And uh, so I want to just let you know about that. We'll kind of have a little small meal together and, and spend some time praying together. Man, what a what a great word. What a great challenge. Uh, for us to start the new year to uh, to be a people of God who who uh, who have the glory of God with them, Amen. And uh, so let us cast off those idols and trust in Him. I want to pray for us, and then uh, and you'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for Your Word. Thank you for a challenging Word, God, that we might we might trust in You, God, not in the idols of this world, not in our, not our own selves, God, not in our own ways of thinking and even manipulating God. I pray that our lives would reflect the glory of Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would bless us, that you would make your face shine upon us, that you would be gracious to us, God, that your ways would be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.